0: In your Bible, Luke 2 again, and I'm going to just read a very, very brief part of it, reread it to you. we have already read the entire account, but beginning in verse 10 of Luke 2, just four verses here. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. or the last verse is my subject. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And my message to you this morning is let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. And I'm not going to use my traditional classical type of homiletical approach to preaching today where you take points and point out various things but I'm simply going to tell you the story of Jesus again because you can never hear this story too much. And as I thought about preparing for today, I determined that my purpose would be to simply honor the Lord Jesus Christ in every way that I could, and certainly that's already been done by all the other folks here this morning, but to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and to bring you to a point where you really are worshiping him in your heart today as we meet here. We began at the beginning. The date of Christ's birth is really unknown to us. Herod, we know from Roman history records, passed away in either 3 or 4 B.C. There's some question about that. And we know that he was still alive when the wise men came looking for the king of the Jews. And we know from Matthew chapter 1 and verse 11 that the wise men came to a house, not the manger. So often that's confused and you'll see uh, mixed uh, passages there, but the wise men didn't go to the manger, the shepherds went to the manger, the wise men went, of course, to a house in Matthew 2 and 11. And there it says they saw a young child. The Greek word there is a padeon, which means a toddler, a child who would be 18 months or two years or maybe three years old. So we know that Herod was still alive when Jesus was a toddler. Therefore, it makes sense that Jesus would have been born somewhere around three or four B.C., but nobody can say for certain that's really ultimately not too important we know that he grew up in the roman world and that rome had conquered what we now what they called at that time palestine about 60 years before christ was born so the nation of israel had kind of settled in to roman rule if you will and the caesar was on the throne the early Romans didn't have the Caesar, but by now they had Caesar. Later, Caesar would be elevated to a point where he would, be, he would be seen as being God. He would be treated as deity. People would even pray to him. And so this is the background that the Lord Jesus Christ was born into. Let me tell you today about, first of all, the most unique person in all of history. He's the most unique person in history because number one, he's the only person in all of world history to ever be born a virgin. Nobody else has ever even claimed that title. Number two, he is a unique being. He is the only person in world history again who was both God and man. And as the creed says, he was fully God, 100% 100% God, fully man, 100% man. People confuse that today, and they have the idea that Jesus was sort of a demigod, that he was sort of 50% man and 50% God. No, 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 no. The Bible teaches that he was as much God as was his father. He was as much man as was his mother, human, a full in a full sense, a human being, fully God, fully man, a unique being. He was, thirdly, he had a unique nature in that he was sinless and he was perfect. In fact, at his trial, Pilate, the trial judge, looking back on his life and ministry, could find absolutely nothing to charge him with. And three different times during that trial, Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. Nobody could find a fault with him. He stood one day in front of his enemies and he said to them, whoso of you confesses me of a sin. Man, I wouldn't stand in front of my friends and say that, would you? But he said that to his enemies. Who could, who could find one flaw with me? And of course, no, no one could. So he's the most unique person in history. He had a unique birth. A unique, he is a unique being He has a unique nature, and he died a unique death. He was the only person who ever died for other people, who was born to to die. And then, this is what makes his death unique. He was the only person in world history to ever conquer death. Three days later, without aid or help, he walked out of that tomb, one of the best evidenced events in all of history, he is the most unique person in history, but let me tell you a little bit about what he was like today. The gospels give us no description of his physical appearance i've always wondered how tall was Jesus? Was he five seven? That would have been about the average height during that time in history. or was he six foot one and towered above his fellows? The Bible gives us no hint of Those physical characteristics. We do know that he was a Jew, and that race at that time, and still today, if they are fully Jew, they are characterized with olive skin. He no doubt had black hair. He had brown eyes. We know that he wore a beard. We would know that because it says that at the crucifixion they plucked out his beard. So That's an established fact. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 2, the prophet, talking about his physical appearance, said, He hath no form or comeliness. Comeliness means outward beauty. Jesus had no form or outward attractiveness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. His beauty was not in his physical being. His beauty was in his character, and his beauty was in his life. But he would have been, in my opinion, an ordinary-looking Jew of that time. His name was Jesus, a very common name in New Testament times. In fact, if you read the entire Bible and note the names of Jesus Christ, he is there are over 200 names and titles of Jesus mentioned in the Bible, each one revealing some aspect of his character or his ministry to us. Often, in fact, about 90 times, Jesus referred to himself as the son of man, meaning the representative man, the man for all seasons, the man who had in one character all of the qualities of ideal manhood. But then on other occasions, he referred to himself, he, he mentioned that he was the son of God. In John 8 and 59, he said to them, I am, which to a Jewish audience would mean that he was calling himself God, the great I am, comparing himself to the Old Testament God, I am. In John 9 and 37, he said to the blind man there that day, he said, I am the Son of God. He came out and clearly, clearly stated. So he has over 200 human names that describe his character because God used his names to create his identity for us so that we could understand him. And he also was the Son of God. He spoke Aramaic. Aramaic is a dialect of the ancient Hebrew. He also, though, spoke Greek, which was the trade language of that day, the common language over the whole Middle East. And he would have spoken Latin because it was the official language of the Roman government. And so you would have heard that when you went to a government office and so on. So the Lord Jesus Christ spoke fluently and was familiar with at least three languages. His occupation was a carpenter. That means he would have been strong because in those days carpenters had to do everything. They had to saw the wood into boards. So he would have had calloused hands. He would have been very muscular, at least in his upper body. He knew how to work with his hands. He would have known how to do calculations because carpenters depend on that. He knew how to saw a board. He knew how to run a plane. He was a man's man. It really bothers me when I see people feminize Jesus in pictures and songs and so on. He was a man's man. He was enough of a man that one day at the temple, he picked up a whip and walked through the crowd turning the tables over and nobody took him on. He was a man. Let's don't ever cease to emphasize that. And he had an education. Jewish boys attended the synagogue. They learned to read. They learned to write in Hebrew or Aramaic. They learned mathematics. They memorized much of the Old Testament. Many of the passages that we're familiar with, Jesus would have known by memory they, knew, they became experts on Jewish history There was a patriotism and a pride about the Jews That uh, God only knows we could use a big dose of today in our country They were very, very familiar with their history And so he was a very well-educated person Now, of course, you say, you may be thinking Well, but he was God, so he's omniscient So he knew everything but remember that the Bible says that he put aside many of those prerogatives. He didn't use those things when he was on earth because he wanted to, he wanted to experience life as we are. He wanted to see people seeing him experiencing life as, as it is for everyone else. And so he studied. He had to learn in the same way that we did, though at times... He could draw upon his deity and his omniscience. And we see him doing that when he told people what they were thinking at one point, for example. At 12 years of age, Mary and Joseph took him up to the temple in Jerusalem. And there it says he astonished. That's the biblical word. He confounded the doctors and the philosophers and the, and the religious scribes of that day. He confounded them with the knowledge he had of the Old Testament. In John 7 and 15, he's speaking to the Pharisees, and somebody says, to him, says about him, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? How did he know all these facts that he's sharing with us, having never gone? They were referring to going on further to... Uh, What we would call today college and university to higher education. And Jesus Christ didn't need that because he had learned so well in his youth. Let me tell you also about his character. He had no vices, he had no flaws, he had no sins, he never made a mistake, he had no character weaknesses. In John 8 and 46, I've already used this verse, but I remind you again because of where we are in the context of the message. John 8 and 46, he said to a crowd of Pharisees, which of you convinceth me of a sin? Which of you would like to say, hey, I know when you did wrong. And nobody spoke or nobody moved that day. Hebrews chapter four and verse 15 says about him, In all points, he was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He suffered. He was exposed to the same temptations that you and I are. And yet, he never sinned, yet without sin. He was so unselfish. Think about this. You read all four gospel accounts. And he never did one thing for himself. Everything he did was for other people. He never asked anything for himself except on one occasion when he asked for a drink of water from a Samaritan woman in order to be able to share the gospel with her. But everything in his life was based upon service to other people. He never acted on behalf of himself. Twice, the Bible says, he wept for other people, but he never had to weep for himself. You never see in Jesus his life or character as you study it, you never see a hint at all of self-pity. It seems to have not been present at all in him. He had no vices, but let me hurriedly say, he had no, there are no virtues that he did not have as well. He had all the virtues, love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, meekness, everything that you can say that is good, the Lord Jesus Christ epitomized that. He said, I'm the truth, and nobody could ever question that, because what he said corresponded with what he did, his actions in his life. He had dignity. No king ever had a more regal or noble bearing than did that Did the Lord Jesus Christ There was a nobility And a majesty about him That absolutely silenced people In his presence Even when he suffered The indignities of the crucifixion And had been beaten And bloody and was wearing a crown Of thorns and was stripped Naked and nailed on a cross The chief executioner looked at him And said truly this man was the Son of God, a dignity, a a wholesomeness, a royalty about His bearing, a nobility, and a majesty that nobody ever could equal in history. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, it describes His humility. Humility. And when you think about The very fact that he would become a man would give you some indication of how great his humility was. And the fact that even as a man, then he would stoop to be born in a barn, in a stable, a greater act of humility. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ made the greatest condescension of any human being in all of history. It's down to the earth, down to the stable down, 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 finally to a tomb in the side of a hill. Almighty God condescending for all those downward steps of humility. He had self-control. He never once lost his temper. He never once lost control of his emotions. He had courage. He never feared. In fact, when they were in a boat, crossing the lake and a storm came up and the disciples came and shook him and woke him up in the middle of the storm. They said, Master, wake up, we perish. And he was asleep during that. He never experienced fear. In fact, the most frequent statement Jesus made to other people in his teaching, if you'll go through your Bible and read all the teaching of Jesus Christ, the most frequent statement that he made was what? Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Every time he's appearing, it seems like he's telling, he's calming people. He's bringing a sense of peace. Be not afraid, he said. And of course, often we talk about his love and his compassion, the way that he treated other people. He ate with tax collectors who were the most despised of all in that day. They were looked down upon as crooks and charlatans and thieves and they were and yet jesus went to the house of matthew and he ultimately came to christ and became one of the authors of the bible as well as one of the disciples jesus was not afraid to be seen with people of dubious reputations he went to the house of zacchaeus he had no racial prejudice at all In that day, the Jews looked down on the Samaritans as a half-breed, mongrel race of people. And Jesus spoke to that Samaritan woman at the well. And do you remember what she said? How is it that you, being a Jew, would even speak to me? She was shocked that he would would even speak to her. No racial prejudice in the Lord Jesus Christ. He had time for the children suffer the little children to come to me he prayed for his enemies while he himself was suffering the agonies of crucifixion he is praying father forgive them they don't know the significance of what they're doing he demonstrated concern for his mother while she was hanging on the cross while he was hanging on the cross During that ordeal, he's thinking about, who's going to take care of my mother after I'm dead? And he pointed to John and he said, John, will you take care of my mother? And and John said he would. He had great wisdom. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1 and 24 says that Jesus is the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God that in this man, our Savior, is all the wisdom and the omniscience of Almighty God. Christ, the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1 and 24. Let me tell you also about his words. In Luke 4 and 22, he is speaking to some people and they say this about him. All the people bear him witness and they wondered at his gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. They had never heard anybody who could speak like him, who could touch them at a deeper level than him. And over and over, I could give you other quotes of other occasions, time won't permit it, but the Lord Jesus Christ, when he spoke, his words had a special resonance in the hearts and the minds of people. John 7 and 46 He again is speaking to a group of Pharisees, and they walked away and they said this, never man spake like this man. Nobody's ever had the gift of being able to use words as he used them. In fact, even today, in a secular world, in a world where a high percentage of the people hate him, he is the single most quoted person in all of world history, After 2100 years Is that not amazing The single most quoted human In all of history After 2100 years He never complained He never apologized He never needed to He never lied He never shaded the truth He never retracted a statement He never needed to explain himself Let me tell you about his words. Never man spake like this man. Let me tell you why he came. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. And I want to read this one to you because it's from the middle of the sermon being preached by Peter on the day of Pentecost. And here's what he said. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as you yourselves already know. And so Peter pointed out to them Christ's ability to do these miracles. And John said in the last verse in his gospel that if all the signs and wonders and miracles were recorded that Jesus did during his time on earth, that the world would not contain the books. Now, obviously, that's a hyperbolic speech, you know. He's he's making a point. But that the works and signs and miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ would overwhelm you. You'd never be able to know about all of them because nobody ever came to him but what he helped them and met their need as best he could We know that he had power and authority over nature. He could speak and quiet the sea. We know that he had power over the animal kingdom. On the uh, day of Palm Sunday, he rode an unbroken colt, a horse, into the city of Jerusalem, and it specifically says, a colt on which no man had ever sat. So, You don't ride an unbroken horse without him first being broken, of course. But Jesus could because he had power over the animal kingdom. He had power over the fish of the sea. And so they needed to pay their taxes. And he said, Peter, go down to the sea and catch a fish. And the first one you catch is going to have a coin in its mouth. And the coin will be sufficient to pay our taxes. He could control the fish of the sea. He could control the birds of the air. And so he said, Peter, you're bragging about you would never deny me. You're going to deny me three times and then a rooster is going to crow. He had control of that rooster's vocal cords. And so it occurred just as he had prophesied. He had control over the demons and over and over and over, we find him casting demons out of people who, had, who were possessed and had completely lost control of their lives. He had control over disease. Nobody ever came to him who was sick and went away sick. They were always cured by him. He even had power over death. And on three different occasions, the Bible records that he raised people from the dead. And then, of course, the fourth being his own resurrection. During his ministry, he showed particular concern for people who were unfortunate. The blind, he opened their eyes. The crippled, the maimed, the halt, the Bible refers to them. He healed them. The beggars, he raised them up. Numerous accounts. He never met a blind man or a handicapped person or a beggar that he didn't send them away having been helped. In those days, leprosy was a very common disease. And it was incurable. It was a, Really, it was a, a sentence of death, a slow, painful, humiliating death. And one of the things about leprosy is it, apparently it could be obtained by just a touch. And nobody would ever touch a leper Even the family members would never touch them again. The leper had to cup their hands and cry and say, unclean, 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 so that people would stay back and not ever approach them. And yet every time a leper approached the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll find something interesting in your text. He touched them. He touched the lepers. Nobody ever came to Jesus with a need a sincere need that he didn't meet on two occasions he fed thousands and thousands of people just using a little lunch just a few pieces of fish or bread and once he fed 4,000 people and another occasion he fed 5,000 people let me tell you why he came he came because God so loved the world That he sent his only begotten son And let me tell you The reason today for Christmas I've tried to describe for you Who Jesus is What he was like To help you mentally get a picture and Visualize this man Whose birthday we celebrate Not only who he was But who he is today Because I shouldn't speak about him In the past tense because He is our living Savior, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. The story of Christmas is real simple, isn't it? God became a man, and through the miracle of a virgin birth, came to the earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, the model for all humanity for all time, the only perfect person, and then went to the cross and died, And rose again that we could have forgiveness of sins. That the curse of the universe could be broken finally and begin the process of coming back to where it was prior to the first sin. In each of the gospels, the Lord Jesus Christ clearly told us why he came. Don't ever forget his purposes. Matthew 9 and 12 and 13 They that are whole need not a physician. If you're not sick, you don't need a doctor. They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I am not come to call the righteous to repentance, he said. I came to call the sick and the sinner. Mark 10 and 45. The Son of Man has come to give his life a ransom for many. The ransom was his own blood that he poured out upon the cross. Luke 19 and 10, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. And the lost were always his focus. John 18 and 37, for this cause came I into the world to bear witness to the truth. And he says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So to summarize those four purposes, he came to pay the penalty for sin, to conquer death, to reverse the curse, to provide eternal life. And if all we had today was a beautiful story, and it is a beautiful story, but if all we had was a beautiful story of a little baby lying in a manger, we would not be, even be here this morning. That wouldn't be that relevant to us 21 years 2,100 years later. If he had not died and risen from the grave, his life would have no relevance to you today. But because of the life that he lived that I've attempted to describe to you this morning, and because he went to the cross and died an ignominious, heinous, violent, sacrificial death, you and I today can enjoy the blessings of forgiveness an eternal life, and an abundant life, even in this life. His forerunner was John the Baptist. And the day that John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the world as they were baptizing there at the Jordan, remember the words of John the Baptist as he saw Christ approaching? Behold, he must have pointed his finger. Behold, and he pointed to Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what makes him special. Ladies and gentlemen, he's still taking away sins. The blood that he shed that day is still efficacious. He's still forgiving people of their sins. Unto you is born this day a Savior. Savior meaning a deliverer, a rescuer implying that we need deliverance, we need forgiveness of our sins. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. Would you bow your head with me in prayer, please?